Now Kerr, looking for the long, oh that's brilliant! And Sam Kerr has surely clinched the title now. World-class players do world-class things. Welcome back to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. I am, ooh, I'm in, uh, it's the morning time. Sorry, you're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> I am Andre Carlisle, uh, and I am here with Miriam. Miriam, how are you? I'm all right. I mean, it's it's three o'clock here. You know, I've had my lunch, done my errands. Oh, I'm chilling and relaxing, you know. Um, so uh, I do I do feel for you. It's quite early there, isn't it? But <laughs> It's not super early, but I'm just not a morning person. So, uh, you know, but we had to get the content out because <laughs> it was a great win for Chelsea, we finally got back to pretty much looking like we thought we expect the team to look dominant, you know, uh, aside from the first, you know, few minutes, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, it was a 3-1 win against West Ham. You had Frank Kirby as the first goal scorer. Sam Kerr got the ball in the back of the net at the 58th. And then four minutes later, Millie Bright, golden boot winner. <laughs> Millie Bright uh, got the ball in the back of the net. Of course, that was uh, that all had to cancel out a third-minute goal uh, by Brigny's daughter from a corner. But let's, uh, Miriam, let's start with the formation. I see that it looks like finally all the websites are starting to get it correct. It is a back four, <laughs> not a back three now. What did you think? Um, I think it was uh, it was pretty good. We expected to see some rotation, and and you mentioned I got to give you the points because you did mention Katarina Svitkova. You said <laughs> you'd love to see her start, and she did start. She started on the right side of the midfield with Jesse Fleming and Aaron Cuthbert in the middle, uh, Guru on the left, and I really felt like our midfield looked very compact. Um, after the first three minutes, things really kind of started getting into gear. We were able to build passes, and we were building patterns of play and attack through um, through Wrighton and also through Svitkova. Um, we saw Eve Perise. I can't remember if I, I mentioned her. I you know I think I might have. I might have mentioned her. Um, and she came in as well. And that was really nice to see her first start um, alongside Millie Bright, alongside Buchanan and, and Ericsson. Yes, it's the back four. And I think, again, it, it was really nice to see somebody in that position. We've seen her play for France in the Euros, who was quite strong in, in progressing the ball, strong with possession. And it's nice to have that across the back four. I think we've talked about in the past where maybe it's just seeing that dominance within the centre-back um, pairings. But now we have a bit more of that freedom across so we can kind of spread possession and, and, and push it through midfield. So I was kind of surprised but pleasantly surprised about the players we were using um and like I say I think Svitkova had an amazing performance and, and of course we'll go on to talk about Samco and Fran Kirby but I just felt it was kind of important to nail that oh yeah I think so too especially because you know on that right side we did have two new players you know Svitkova mm -hmm. and Perisay were over there and they worked well together that was a mm -hmm. very productive side of the pitch for Chelsea which you kind of you kind of expect like, you know, Magda Eriksson and, and Google Wright and like they, they're, they've been in the team for a couple of years. You expect some fluidity there. So it was really good to see it on the other side as well. But of course, it didn't quite pay off for a while. We had to wait until the 40th minute and we were down for, in, for that entire time. Three minutes in, conceded corner, suddenly header beats uh, Berger. Far side netting, are you thinking, oh, not again? Like, this game just got so much harder. Now we're going to maybe, like, 
have to wait until the second half. And maybe if the if an early goal doesn't come, then we're scraping to find an equalizer and like we're dropping too much. Like, did all the disaster scenarios go through your head when they when it go down three minutes in, or were you like, oh, okay, they scored too early? <laughs> I did kind of feel like a sinking feeling in my stomach. It's the kind of feeling that I felt in the Liverpool game and maybe a little bit in the Man City game. Just this this feeling that almost a sense of worry. I'm really hoping we don't start to play, you know, in a conservative and preservative manner like we did in the first game. I really <laughs> hope that. that, that you know, the goal that's been conceded means business as usual. You know, it's a very early goal. We're playing against a West Ham team that lost last week 2-0 to United. Um, like I say, last week, last weekend, conceding over 20 shots, um, not obviously all of them on target. Let's be patient, but let's not hold back. Um, I think that's that was my worry, especially because we talked about in the last podcast Emma's um, experimentive uh, tactics. So there was a worry there. But I think I think really what it was, and, it, and we've seen inklings of it last season, is just that we're starting a bit slow. You know, we're, starting, we're still having that issue. It's not the worst issue to have because it hasn't stopped us from kicking on. And as you saw in this game, we ended up winning 3-1. Um, but my main worry was what the response and reaction might be. It was a perfect response because we went on the attack immediately. Uh, both Kerr and Kirby had shots blocked in the box. Um, I think there was an offside involved. And then Kerr hit, hit, the, hit the bar twice and I felt a bit of relief. You know, I felt, you know, thank God we're not... We're not doing what we did against Man City, and that kind of more it more confirms our belief that that was just to get the points for that game. And I'm really relieved. Um, we did mention last week that if it happened again, we would never record a podcast. So I, I'm glad we were able to record <laughs> episode three um, and get that going. So um, yeah, perfect reaction uh, on the attack, um, and then you know. It it came to to getting the the equalizer and and it was just a perfect goal. Yeah, let's actually let's talk about that goal. There's a couple of things I want to talk about, but but I want to talk about that goal because it did come like like you mentioned when when West Ham scores, there are a lot of thoughts that go through our heads because of the Liverpool game and the approach versus City. You know, I was really looking forward to you know this was the first like eleven that. Emma Hayes was able to put out with a game plan that I think is going to more reflect the way that Chelsea is going to approach the majority of the matches. We know what happened with the warm-up change against Liverpool, Manchester City. It was all about not losing. You cannot give up six points this early in the season. So it was all about making sure we didn't lose. And of course, we got the win. Um, that was important, but it wasn't, you know, again, that's why I said that last week, because I don't expect this sort of approach. And so I was really excited about this West Ham game, even though it was midweek and we were expecting some debuts, I thought that this was going to be the way the team was going to set up. And then all of a sudden, you give up an early goal, and it's like, oh, how's that going to change things? I don't know if it changed anything, because <laughs> I think Game of Hayes was like, we're going to go out and try and get as many goals as we can, because that's how we do things. This is actually how I want my team to play. And despite that, 71% possession, team had 19 total shots. I keep seeing there's a var- variance between what I see on Google and what's on FOTMOB. Google says eight shots on target, Mod says 10. So yeah, I, we did a much better job, I think, uh, of that. And But it did take until the 40th minute to get the goal. But uh, what a goal it was. Fran Kirby just brings that ball down with her right, shifts her body, uses her left foot, her weaker foot, to move that uh, basically through traffic to the far side of the net. Kind of curled it a little bit too. It was a very, very good strike. Yeah, and I think like you know, it's it's 
becoming so much of a norm to see her in that position, um, just hovering around the box, finding those half spaces. She's becoming more and more comfortable. Um, you would have expected a drop off between her performances in the Euros and now, but as we keep saying, every time there's a break, you know, Fran just comes back like like she wasn't even away. Um, but also, I want to mention a little bit Gura Wrighton because I th- I think I saw a stat online about how she has assisted all of Chelsea's goals from open play so far, and here was another, <laughs> yeah. which is that's an insane stat by the way. Um, but pretty much, she, she you know she kept for that goal. She did brilliantly to keep um, to keep the ball in play. I think there was a West Ham clearance, and she was able to to keep the ball in play, chip the pass towards the penalty spot, and, and give Fran enough time to control and 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 get that shot off. Um, you know, we talk a lot about her passing and her ability to find players, but also that extra, that extra mile in that position, which created the space for Fran to shoot. Um, it's absolutely crazy that she's doing this. And as you say today, it was even more impressive to see, to see not just her strength in that area, but that to see that reflected on the other side with with Perisay and Switkova. And that's something that kind of really excites me. Yeah, and I got a, a correction. She bought it down with her left and took it <laughs> with her left. So, okay, it was all a completely left foot constructed goal. Uh, really good to see from Fran Kirby. She's she's leading the team at the moment. I believe she has, what, three goals scored in every game? Um, so, yeah, uh, Fran Kirby has been amazing to start the season. Um, well, of course, we get that goal in the 40th minute just before halftime. Are you anticipating at that point that Chelsea's going to be able to keep up the dominant the dominance in the second half? Or did you expect West Ham to make adjustments and us have to figure that out and then things get tense towards the end of the match when we try to figure out how to unlock whatever adjustments they happen to make? Um, did you basically I'm asking, did you think it was gonna take a while for that second goal to come? To be honest, I, I didn't like you know, once I'd confirmed myself that we weren't gonna play um conservatively. Uh, once I'd I'd seen where where we were able to actually to divert possession from central areas and into areas of strength, which we now were seeing on either flank, I knew that those that those chances would come, especially through crosses, and and you could see more and more so how much um, both Kerr and, and Kirby were 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 making themselves very difficult to mark. So I knew that if the crosses came and Wrighton was certainly providing them, so would the the, the chances. And the second half pretty much was, you know, if it followed the first half. There were, I think, there were a couple of occasions where um, Arnold, who was playing goal, um, had to make saves from free kicks, and 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 you could see that she was being troubled by those um, set pieces. Seemed to be the way to go, and it was kind of really opening up the play as well. I think we were becoming more comfortable and natural with it. And even though the game was one-one, I I felt I felt like I was believing more that we were believing in ourselves. We weren't kind of at one all and and concerned and holding ourselves back. We were playing quite openly because we knew that the goals would be there. And you mentioned earlier, um, a couple of minutes ago, you said it it was really an all out approach to get as many goals as possible. And I I feel like our attack really really went for it, and that's the Chelsea that we saw last season. Yeah, and and you know there was also <laughs> there was also the Sam Kerr that we saw last season, except for the post getting in the way. Oh I was God. so frustrated. <laughs> she had so many. She had two very good chances. That one was incredible where she cut the ball. She took the shot earlier than I thought. Sam Kerr usually gets a little closer to goal. So it was great to see that even after, you know, not scoring in the first two games, she has still has like it hasn't shaken her confidence, which, you know, you say that and you're like, Sam Kerr has, scored, has won a golden boot on three continents. So you assume like that player player's confidence can't be shaken. But they're still human and each mm. season is different and you want to get on the score sheet as soon as possible if that's your job, if that's what you're meant to do. 
particularly when you need goals in a game like against Liverpool, when you know you're, you're, you end up conceding a, a game-winning goal to them via penalty. So, like, I, I, there are instances, and I'm sure there was a little inter, if not external pressure, definitely internal pressure for her to score. And so I liked seeing the shot. And I was just so upset and so sad that it hit the post, first of all, because it would have been a great goal. But she got it wrong by, what, three inches? <laughs> like, it was very, very close to hitting the, the inside of the post and going in. But she does score our second in the 58th minute. It was kind of a scramble, like you mentioned, from a corner. But just, like, how good was it to see? And, and they've left it. I thought they might give it as an own goal or something. But they've left it as a Sam Kerr goal. It's going to stand how good was it see, to see her finally get on the score sheet? We say finally, it's third, three games in, but still, as mentioned, it's important. I think, like, as as the corner came in, I could see her. Like, she, her movement was it was crazy. You know, she was hovering in and out, um, very slippery. And again, it's the kind of performance we would see last season of her in the box. And just waiting, waiting, the ball ricochets. It, it drops a bit, player waiting, waiting to be in the right space at the right time. And she just got there and, and straight away... The celebration, the reaction—you knew what it meant to her, but also just how much it meant for that game itself. Although, like I said, the game was one-all and we were playing pretty strongly and dominantly, it's taken us a couple of games to get to that stage. Arsenal have just kicked off in the first game of the season, and it is a stressful thing. Um, but having Sam Kerr back to scoring that way and not being frustrated by half chances and misses and and the woodwork pretty much um, a couple of times this season already. It was a relief. It was a relief for her, for the team, for myself watching. Um, and I do think it's it's one of those cliche things. You score one and, and then more goals start coming. And pretty much in this game, yeah, because we pretty much scored for the, another corner with Millie Bright. But also, I mean, for her, um, last season when we had the um, the game, the preseason, the Charity Shield game. Um, Charity Shield? What was that game against? Community Shield? Community Shield. Maybe. Is that a thing? I think Have they cancelled that, that one last season, though. No, what was the one? Is it was it like a late FA Cup game? Oh yeah, 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 yep, yeah. It was the late FA Cup. It was it was it was last season's FA Cup during the season. <laughs> right. You see, this is what happens yeah. when you do stuff like this to women's football. <laughs> you confuse people. Seasons should remain in their own lanes, right? Um, but what I meant to say is, and that it was really similar in that game, and we complained about it, and people complained. They were like. Every, you know, because it was a game that was watched by I think men. People who watch men's football watching. They were like, "This is the Sam Kerr you're talking about. Like, she's not even that good. She's missing her chances." Everyone complained. Right, it was the first game of that season um, with quotation marks, and and then it you know she got going, and and that was that was the end of it. She became a prolific striker. It took her a while, but she got there. And I think, as you say, these people are human. It takes a while when you're getting into a season unless you're like a super freak like Fran Kirby who's just played the Euros and 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 (laughs) acts like it's nothing's happened but we need to give her that same patience and today she got there and I think from now on we can expect to have a bit of more more normal service yeah definitely I think that was that was really good for her I'm I'm glad that it happened I'm actually really glad that it happened before this international break which we may talk a little bit about later because we saw Emma Hayes came out with some commentary about it uh and surprise surprise we agree Um, but, um, I, I wanted to kind of like talk about maybe some other players in the match who didn't score, but who had very good performances. Uh, you did mention Svitkova. I think that was a a great call out at the beginning, you know, her first start, uh, for Chelsea had a very good game, but also I think Aaron Cuthbert 
had a very good game. Of course, you know, West Ham didn't really attack as they sat back a lot, which you kind of expect. So the passing numbers were definitely up there. But you also want to make sure that regardless of like you take those opportunities and she did very well. Um, I'm looking at Fat Mob stats here. She had 70 passes. 66 were accurate. She only misplaced um, four passes all match. 94%. Created two chances. Had one shot. Um, she also had, was accurate on long balls. 100%. 12 out of 12. Um, and had eight recoveries, one interception. So just did a very good job of playing that role, that new role that she's playing in midfield. I thought this was, of course, you know, quality of competition and all of that. But West Ham's a good side. They are a much, much improved side from last season. Uh, but I thought Aaron Cuthbert played very well. I think she's she's really suiting playing next to Jesse Fleming quite well. That pairing is 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 making me feel at ease and satisfied of what's happening in midfield. I know we've talked at length in terms of the issues in midfield, what's happening on the number eight position, our uh, defensive midfield capabilities. But I I feel like although Erin is not completely suited to that role, she has this drive, this ability to to kind of almost attack people when they have the ball to break up play to um to be aware positionally and spatially of danger around her and although it's not something we want to see because when she pushes ahead she can contribute so much more to her attack and make that so much seamless it's still you know it's still much more appeasing for me than having to rotate Sophie Ingle um who might not be all that comfortable um I think she played really well next to Jesse Fleming and I think that's Vikova on the other side um allowed her to be sort of much um much more engaging in the midfield rather than having to push on um and to switch to either wing so i i think i think she's suiting that role really well but i think it only looks so much better because i i feel we're, we're sorting out um what's happening on either side of her um so that's maybe a possible thing that we're going to see maybe it's it becomes a regular appearance for her in that position definitely she had a good performance um guru right and we talked briefly about her for similar reasons um lauren james interesting <laughs> yes uh, we had we haven't really talked about it, although it did finish three one. It it could have and it should have really been four because there was a penalty yeah. involved. Um, she really kind of went really easily around her defender and then insisted on taking the penalty, even though there was a little bit of like a negotiation, so we say, going on in the box about who would take it. I think a couple of players wanted it. She insisted on taking it, and she should have she should have scored. I feel like she should have scored, and it was saved, so it stayed at three one. Um, but the thing I want to point out there is once again, here is a performance where she is so seamless in her, her dribbling ability. That it was almost too easy. Like that penalty seemed scripted almost, but that's the ease at which she moves past players. And often the only choice you're left with is fouling her. And there was a prime example of it. So maybe not um, the standout performance of the three games so far, but, but definitely again, one of Chelsea's better players. Yeah. And, and you know, I did love Lauren James. After the penalty, even though it was missed, <laughs> there is a screenshot out there yep. of apparently West Ham fans were giving her a little, you know, giving her a little something for missing the penalty. Uh, and she holds up three three on one hand, one on the other, letting yes. them know the score line. <laughs> I was like, yes, give me that energy. I'm so here for that. Um, and I love that you mentioned, like, she's just, again, every time she steps on the pitch, you're just, like, delighted that she's with Chelsea. I mean of an unreal player like I just I don't understand how she is in constant control of the ball and seemingly doesn't feel pressure the combined like those two things combined should not exist 
when you're playing against other professional athletes, but she makes it look easy and it is not easy at all, but it is, it is a joy to watch. Um, I have a question for you. Oh, yeah. So it does seem like, you know, even though when we're in possession, players go everywhere, you know, there's a lot of moving, there's a lot of shifting players are reacting to what other players are doing. Like it's a lot. So it's not like it stays this, you know, four, four, two or four, two, three, one or whatever, um, all the time. But when we are defending, of course, it does revert a bit more to shape. And that's kind of what Emma Hayes has said before, you know, when you're, when you have the ball, it's really about, you know, putting players in different positions. So formations don't really exist, but when you are defending, you do have to have some structure about it. So that's when formations do come into play because you need roles and responsibilities defined to be able to say if a player comes here, do this. If a runner comes here, that's your responsibility. You know, it's a little different um, when you have that. But Magda Eriksson, and I know she plays left back pretty frequently, actually, for Sweden. Didn't know if she'd be playing it for Chelsea, but it seems like that's going to be the move. Do you like that or do you think we miss something by not having her more central it it's a difficult one because I feel like we've become so accustomed to seeing her in the central position as a partnership um, with Millie Bright um, as somebody who works so well with with Millie Bright's style of play pushing forward possession base she's able to stay in that role um, and be more commanding having her out um, on either side whether that's right or left I think it it takes a lot away from that position, but having seen how Buchanan plays in that position, I feel um, what Ericsson is maybe lacking is is what Bright has, the combined ability to be possessive, to, to pick out passes, to instigate attacks like we saw um, in the last game against City. It was Buchanan's pass that started one of one of the goals. Just that ability to, to have a combined effect. Um, I think most European teams at the moment are really shifting towards this style and you see it more in men's football um, where your defence is really as much part of, of attack as, as anything else, you know. So I, I think I understand where Emma Hayes is going, if that's the decision. Um, Ericsson has, has the sort of defensive ability in terms of tackles and, and passing um, to be able to play in there, but maybe it's not her strength. And maybe if it's not her strength, then we see a shift in personnel on the back four. I I really like Buchanan playing how she plays in that position. I think it makes Millie Bright much stronger, much more confident. It it helps us protect our midfield pivot, or whether it's midfield three or four. Um, it maybe might help with the fact that we haven't had we don't have a defensive midfielder. Maybe that's the reason why it becomes much more protective and a bit sort of less dangerous even to play with the style of attack we are playing at the moment when we don't have that player. So uh, I wonder whether the decision is is to be safer in our passing. Um, rather than someone who can just sort of stay and, and do defending. Yeah, it is interesting. I think the thing that makes it okay for me, and this is kind of a sad thing to do to Magda, but I think like mm-hmm. Buchanan's deliver her her passing range and her ability to dribble is very similar to what Magda Erickson does very well. You know, we we talked in previous podcasts about how we rely on her for a lot of buildup especially when teams play low block, she puts, she brings the ball up high so that everybody else can start their movements much higher up the pitch. And she does that. Um, And now Buchanan's the one doing that. And Buchanan is very, very good at progressing the ball. I loved, I saw, I think I saw Jesse Parker Humphreys uh, all the time and just saying, she just loves seeing Buchanan just dancing up the pitch with the ball. And it is very fun to see her just like, she'll just see like, okay, 
You're pressing me from both angles. No problem. I'm just going to step ahead and just keep driving in the midfield, just like Magda used to do. So I do feel like, you know, maybe at some point we'll see them. I don't know if they'll switch because I think Buchanan is much better as a right back. She can play right back areas. Don't know quite yet about left that is different in terms of angles and body position. So, um, but it will be interesting to see if that continues. Um, we have, we do have the ability to see Magda get up the pitch higher and still distribute a bit, especially when a player like Guhariten is ahead of her. I think that does give her, allow her to use that part of her game because that's my only thing. I think she's comfortable there. I just don't want to not use a big part of her game. Mm -hmm. And if we can get, you know, both players, you know, progressing the ball, you know, both defenders from those areas, then I think we're good. But I just want to make sure that, like, I'll be keeping an eye on whether Magda can consistently uh, do that going forward or if she's going to have to stay back a little bit and um, and rely on or, or allow Buchanan to kind of do what she used to do. Um, my other question for you, you know, you talk about the midfield and you did bring up, you know, the Cuthbert and Fleming uh, midfield pairing. And I do think that I was shouting on this podcast, not shouting, but I was talking about this <laughs> podcast a bit. Uh, last season about wanting to see Jesse Fleming in midfield. It seemed like whenever she got on the pitch, she was playing higher up, either as a 10 or she was one of the wide forwards or something. And now she is like in a true midfield position, it seems. Um, and I got to be honest with you. I don't know how I feel about it, only because her and Aaron Cuthbert are quite small. We saw that be <laughs> kind of a big problem against Bunny Shaw. And, you know, Bunny Shaw was like, bodying up Millie Bright. So, you know, didn't have, didn't stand a chance against, you know, Fleming and Cuthbert. They didn't stand a chance. Um, and, and there aren't too many players like Bunny Shaw, of course. But I do worry a little bit about that, about that pairing, having two very similar players. And I think when we dominate the ball, it's good. But when we don't, and we have another formidable uh, midfield, especially if somebody's going to kind of come out with like a, a strong midfield three. And I'm kind of thinking maybe like Arsenal uh, can come out with a strong midfield three. Um, I'm, I'm, I am a little bit, I won't say nervous, but I'm a little apprehensive. I'm like, hmm, how is that hmm. going to look? Where, where are you on it? Now that you're saying it, and I did watch the, the North London derby, Kim Little absolutely bodied yeah. the Spurs midfield. In fact, like it, <laughs> it almost looked like, they weren't even, they like Spurs didn't have midfield. It was that bad. Graham was just like vanishing, disappearing into the, the Emirates ground. Um, and it's just, you know, she was she was running that game. I think that's where Arsenal got their points from. Um, so now that I'm thinking about it, you are right in the sense that although both are obviously very natural with the ball and, and able to play progressively, maybe the issue about not having someone physical enough in that in that position means that it doesn't matter how we play because we won't have sort of the bodies or the press to be able to stop teams getting through us possibly um you know possibly Cuthbert you say she's a small player she's quite fiery though so I wonder whether oh that's yeah no like... I'm not yeah I want to I want to be clear I'm not worried like Cuthbert's physicality is one thing like uh -huh. I expect her but I don't a lot of times she has to, like, she picked up a yellow card, of course, against, you know, Bunny Shaw trying to defend. And I think sometimes that's just going to happen given given the style of play. But if she feels like she has to, like, take up the, you know, like, burden, the physical, mm -hmm. the physical, physical mm -hmm. burden of the entire midfield, that's dangerous, especially if she gets an early yellow or something. You could see another one coming pretty soon. And it does put a lot of weight on her to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good shout. Maybe that's that's the area that we now have to think about. So are we going to play Kankovic in there? And she just sits and, and holds that position. 
Um, if we do that and we're playing a double pivot, then it's it's either Cuthbert, um, playing Cuthbert further up, which we know that she's very good at, or um, playing someone like, um, you know, playing Fle- Flemings further up as well. And you said um, you wanted to see her deep in midfield. I, I feel like the reason why I like those two together is because in a in an attacking sense, they're both really sharp and quick with the passing. And that's what I feel like our attack has been lacking at times to make things more seamless and smoother. But, you know, you put it in my mind now, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I can I can just imagine <laughs> it happening. Um, it happened so easily with Bunny Shaw, you know, if it wasn't for some smart defending and and from some sharp saves, I'm, I'm sure she would have gone on to score and create more chances. And she's not even, you know, Bunny Shaw is pretty, she's pretty sort of muscly, but it's not, you know, it's not like coming up against Ellen White. That's that's a whole other other deal. We did wish that we had Ellen White, but now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, maybe not so much. Oh, I it's, still would take Ellen White at any day. Put, put Ellen White on that yeah. at that city number nine any day. Bunny Shaw scared <laughs> the hell out of me. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely one to think about. Um, maybe it just it, it becomes a thing where one of the players has to commit and and be the player to do that. Because, for example, think of Kira Walsh from Mancy. She's not the most physical player, but she can play in that role and 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 dominate without having to be physical. Maybe that's the game. Don't let it get to the point where it is physical. Um, manipulate the ball, manipulate the passing and, and the spaces ahead of you to make sure that it never gets to that. But that's still asking a lot. It's asking a lot of a midfield. And obviously, Kira Walsh is, is a really good player. Um, so it's asking at least one of those players, whether that's Cuthbert or Fleming, to do that. And as you say, that can be quite the sacrifice. Yeah, and I think my only, you know, the only thing was like, of course, you know, against, like you mentioned, you know, a player like Bunny Shaw doesn't exist on many teams, thankfully, um, but, you know, you, there is the Arsenal midfield that they are going to have to contend with, and so it is interesting to see, and I also think it's a, it's not just a problem in terms of that, but also transition. We did see, you know, some there were some moments when the defense really had to step up and take the ball um, because the, a ball was lost, possession was lost, or a pass went awry, you know, I mentioned Aaron Cuthbert's stats and Jesse Fleming's aren't as great. And it probably could just be her adjusting to a new role. But um, she only had 68% pass accuracy um, for, for all of her passes overall. And her long balls are only two for six. Um, that could be because she was more, you know, she was the midfielder that could take more risks. So it could just be a system thing where we're willing to live with that because of the risk she's trying to take with the ball. But I also think you have to be careful in terms of that and, uh, and those transition moments uh, and that's when it's really good to have defenders back there like Parise, like Millie Bright, like Buchanan, <laughs> like Magda Erickson, uh, that it can be aware of that danger, even if it all of a sudden pops up in an instant because of a turnover. So, um, yeah, just just kind of something to think about, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, Emma Hayes solves that problem. But just quickly, though, um, if that's the way we're playing, does that not make us more susceptible to having a really high line if we're asking our defenders to come ahead and... and- and although we know, like the, the names you mentioned, those are players who are more than capable of doing that. But that doesn't, don't you think that could make us more vulnerable to having a high line, which is more easy to counter on and or play balls over the top if you have a striker like Medima or Blacksinius or you know um, any one of of the top um, three teams. Yeah, I think so. But I also think these players are comfortable playing that high line. You know, none mm-hmm. of them are are really, you know, all of them have played that for years. They're aware of danger that can come in from behind and they're really smart. 
Um, but then you have the Liverpool game, you know, that's that <laughs> their second penalty came from Katie Stengel of all players who, you know, I'm familiar with from the NWSL uh, bust through the line and you're chasing her and you're having to make a tackle in the box or maybe not having to, but doing it and conceding a penalty. So like, yeah, there's absolute danger there, but I do think that overall the players are comfortable, but that's why it's, it, it is a question mark for me as opposed to what does Emma Hayes do? Does mm-hmm. she put somebody like Sophie Engel back there um, in order to stay present, like stay in the defensive space? Um, we also know she's not the most mobile of midfielders as well. So when you do run into that doesn't completely solve the problem. Um, not sure where Kankovic is going to fit, but in my profile of her and like my understanding of her game, she works a bit better higher up the pitch as well. So it might just be like, hold on until Melly's back. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And, and you know what? We talked about all these players. We haven't even mentioned Penilla Harder, who is... Yeah. Uh, I really thought, right, you know, when she was rested in the first game and that the, the news was a tight hamstring, and I was like, fine, they just... Well, I suppose the thing is, right, we say that, but we don't actually know. Like, medically, we can't comment how long it might take to recover from that. Um, I just feel like normally in men's football, it's pretty, there's a pretty quick turnaround if a player is missing for, you know possible small niggle i think that's the word they use like that just makes you think it's not that bad (laughs) yeah and maybe that's what i was led to believe in the first place but not to say that it's a serious injury but it means that she's out for longer than we expected and and where does she fit in this team if she when she comes back because it seems like we're setting up without her and and we are um kind of getting to grips in a formation and a starting 11 that's kind of picking itself so where does she even you know fit into that yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I was I I did write in my preview like that whether we see Pernilla Hart or not will give us an update on like the severity of the injury or, or the mm-hmm. tightness that she felt, like how well well she's recovering from that because we know it wasn't a well, we think we know it wasn't a full pull. It, they reported as tightness that she felt and took herself out. Um but then you're looking at it and saying, "Okay, you know, we do have matches back to back." Makes sense that you wouldn't risk her against City. That's going to be an intense game full of intense running. But you do look at like the midweek match versus West Ham when you're going to like rotate the squad a bit. You're going to need a superstar player to come in. Like maybe if she is fully fit, maybe maybe a player like Fran Kirby, you know, is on the bench and com- comes off the bench. You know, maybe something like that in order but to just keep the squad But she wasn't on the, the bench, fresh. was she? No, but Pernella Harder wasn't on the bench at all. She wasn't. That's what I'm saying. That's So that's right. why I was like, ooh, that hamstring issue might be, I guess they're giving her the international break, but I was a little sad to not see her make it. Um, and we still haven't seen her start her 2022-2023 season. And um, it is going to be interesting. Like you said, the team does seem to be settling. I think there is a definite role for her. Um, so this is going to be interesting to see like who gets shuffled around. But I do think that you know, I, there were moments in the in all of the games I thought where like well, it would be really fun to see what Pernilla Harder could do in this position. Um, so we'll have to see. That actually brings us to the last thing we wanted to talk about in this podcast, which was the international break. I know <laughs> in last week's pod we mentioned that we would be talking to you guys um, maybe during you know midweek or might be at the weekend game because we just assumed that we had another game, (laughs) but we do not. It is the international break. Chelsea and West Ham are the only teams to have played three games. Everybody else has done two. Of course, it is a makeup game from what was supposed to be the season opener for Chelsea that was postponed because of the Queen. Uh, Because of the Queen, she died. (laughs) Um, And uh, and so you're like, (laughs) Emma Hayes did talk about it and say that the 
players do, you know, you do need to start considering player health, player safety, you know, even even in physically and mentally. So I do think that I was a little surprised to see, you know, for every most teams, it's two league games and then an international break. That seems ridiculous. That's a weird start to a season. We have three. That's still weird. You know, of course, everybody's missing that one extra game. But I just think it's it is a lot. They're all going to fly around go to different uh, countries or, or, or whatever and play with their national teams and then come back and get back into the season because Chelsea's next game isn't until October 16th. So we've got a, a two-week break for us in terms of watching Chelsea, but the players are going to be on the move. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about that because I think that the issue is, is this early into the season, you're asking players to do a lot of flying, um, a lot of jet lag, a lot of um, different conditions, different weathers, um, a lot of travel, it's it's a lot of intensity when players haven't even settled. I mean, obviously, Chelsea, an example of a team that's just settling now. There are teams that will have settled early, like Arsenal. But then there are teams like Man City that are still getting to grips. And, and you're asking these players to, to fly all over the world. Um, it seems really insane to do that. Just as insane as giving, you know, um, giving a title team an away day at a really hard game. It's just you put these players through difficult conditions and you do it intentionally. And it's just... A lot of stress. Um, Emma Hayes has talked about this a lot. Jurgen Klopp is another manager on the men's side who talks about it a lot. Um, but we just have to hope that that we can use that in the opposite way and actually use it to freshen up in a couple of areas. Um, you know, the slow starts, we've conceded a couple of early games, uh, early goals in the last couple of games. So maybe that's that intensity will help turn things around. But that's that's just like a, you know, a small part of it. It's not the big picture. So... Fingers crossed that works out and, and fingers crossed that maybe it's it's the break that Penilla Harder needs. Um and the players come back a bit more accustomed to the intensity to to the beginning of the season because we really can't afford to be dropping points while Arsenal, who appear to be again our main rivals for this season, continue to get the points. Yeah, definitely agree. I think it is gonna be interesting. I'm hoping, of course, that no matter how good Penilla Harder feels. I hope she does not play at all in this international break. So <laughs> I want her to fully rested and ready uh, to go for Chelsea. Um, and and even though it would be great to see her on the pitch at some point, I prefer it in blue. Uh, so, you know, that's just how I feel. Uh, when Chelsea does come back, that October 16th game is against Everton, who have actually been in pretty good form. They made some really smart signings, including getting Jess Park on loan from Manchester City and giving her minutes. And she looks great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we knew she was talented, but she looks very ready to start uh, in this league and to cause some damage. Uh, then we have Brighton, who we away, which is always a fun one for Chelsea. <laughs> uh, when we play Aston Villa, Manchester United, and Tottenham, so like it's it's not an, an, a great welcome back to the WSL for Chelsea. So we are going to need the players to be like ready to go for this. But you know, as you mentioned, we do have the international break and. Surprise question. Another one. This is going to be a very interesting. uh, This is going to be a very interesting international break for us, isn't it? Because a certain two national teams are playing at Wembley next week, aren't they? They are. And I think that's going to be a sold out game. But um, already is, is, isn't it? I think it's it's, it's sold out within like the first week. (laughs) It pretty much it was. I think it was sold out from the point where, you know, people first got an idea the teams were playing. It was mentioned months, months ago. Um, it, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a big one. Um, I hope we see all the Chelsea stars, Frank Kirby, Millie Bright. Uh, sad to say that a lot of, you know, a lot of 
players who are oppositions now are the players that I'm going to want to see. Beth Mead, Kira Walsh, Lauren Hemp, um, Georgia Stanway. It's, you know, Alessia Russo. Just hope that all of them turn up because we are the team who just won the Euros and we should be the most fired up about this game. But you know how Americans are. They love to... They love to score goals <laughs> against us and then rub it in our faces. So I'm hoping well, I have I, it. I'm hoping there's a reverse goal and then we can do like a weird American celebration. I, you know what? I would love to see that. Just show me what weird like American thing you could do to like poke fun I don't at even us know, like, because there are plenty. But I just would love to see where somebody from England would go with it. The thing is, like, like it makes sense. Like the tea celebration makes sense, but I don't even know what I would like. What's like? <laughs> It's really hard to have a stereotype for American people that's not like inappropriate, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I was gonna say there, there's of there, course there's, the, the there's gun violence thing always yeah. comes up, and like that would be just really, really unfortunate. Even... But like, what do you do? Yeah. Rodeo? Do you do like <laughs> I don't know, like yeehaw something? I really don't know what you do. Maybe that's Maybe like it. a lasso situation. I don't, yeah, I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> maybe. And now I want to see it. I'm gonna be mad if it doesn't happen because I could just see like Russo in the corner just doing some some lasso move, and I'd be like, all right, got us, got us. It happened. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm really excited for that match. I'm a little concerned and actually might have to alleviate some of England's concerns if you're thinking that tea might be sipped again uh, in front of you. Uh, Alex Morgan has not played in her last match with the NWSL, maybe her last two. Um, so don't quite know what's going on there. I know the playoffs, you know, what the, the way we do things, unfortunately, is we do playoffs at the end of the season. Uh, even though we have the exact same measurement for wins, losses, and draws as every other soccer league, but um, so th- that's going to be interesting. I don't. We're, we're going to see uh, the squad later today uh, and who's selected. So there's a chance. There is a chance that you will be free from Alex Morgan and the potential of her sipping tea yet again. Fingers crossed, but you know I wouldn't put it past her having <laughs> slipped it across to another player, and just for them to score and do it. If that happened, I would blame you, Andre, because you you assured me just now, moments ago, that it wouldn't. So it will be on you. You'll see me yeah. swearing just like Emma Hayes did last night on camera. That was that was amazing. That's going to be our meme. Oh, that was That's great. already cemented itself. I don't care what happens in the rest of the season. We're going to be using that to a point where you will become sick of seeing it across this season, whenever appropriate. Oh yeah, we're we're absolutely gonna wear that out because it was uh, incredible, and it was funny. The camera cut to her right as she was doing it. It's almost like they <laughs> meant to do it, and then they cut right away when they finally saw what she said. And it's like, well, you just gave us the moment. Thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm actually gonna be honest with you. I'm scared of this game. Uh, the USMS national team for me um, has a lot of questions, and there are a lot of injuries as well. So I'm concerned. I think England and what Serena's doing is really, really, really excellent. Of course, winning the Euros is amazing. But, you know, I think all Euros I was screaming for, you know, Russo to start. And of course, Ellen White retires. And now Russo's starting. And hey, look at that. She can't actually score goals from the start, which we all kind of just knew. So I think the team's in very good form. So I'm not exactly looking forward to these games from a U.S. perspective because I think it's going to highlight a lot of issues that we we know we have, but I don't know if others know that we have. Well, I guess we will we will definitely find out um, if it goes down that way. I guess you'll just be miserable afterwards, but Probably. at least you know <laughs> at least we can rely on some good football. Exactly. So yeah, and and when we actually may record a pod just to talk about that game, I know it's not quite a, a Chelsea thing, but maybe we might do it anyway. Um, especially if somebody like you know a Fran Kirby scores a screamer, we're, we're absolutely going to grab the microphones and scream for about twenty minutes. Um, <laughs> so we'll do that. But 
If not, you'll definitely hear from us a preview uh, before the league is back on October 16th. And then, of course, we'll resume our regularly scheduled programming, match reviews, and all of that. So thank you for listening to this episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. Um, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Um, um, oh, uh, it's it's actually Lauren James's birthday today. I wanted oh, to mention it earlier, and then I forgot. So happy birthday, she missed the penalty yesterday, but she's probably going to be. That up in the birthday she's probably going to be one of the best players of this season, if not already. She's been, you know, she's all of last season. She's just sort of waiting in the shadows. And I think this is her moment to shine. So, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think we're not too many years away from the best players at Chelsea being Reese James and Lauren James. I I think that's going to happen, maybe in a couple years. Maybe we'll see. I think it could happen in one year the way Lauren James is going, but. It might take another season, a full season, but we'll see. I think it's going to happen. And it's-